Well, that is a good start to the uh, fall church year. Good to see you here this morning. Take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3. That would be page 694, or rather 964, if you're using our Bibles here. Yeah, thanks for setting your alarms if it took that, or if you're online, uh, maybe you had to set your alarm someplace too, so. It was in the uh, summer of 2019 that uh, the church board, our elders and deacons that is, uh, decided to develop a list of core values that would distinguish Open Door Bible Church. And so we began uh, in each monthly meeting to take a segment of time and think through what are our core values? What, what, is, what is God, through his word and through our church family, established as, as most important? Well, then COVID happened, and uh, we kind of got distracted from that with other pressing issues at our, at our meetings on each month. But then uh, last winter, we picked up the project again, and, and uh, we, have, we have a list of core values. If you're interested in the whole list, you could, there's a stack on the back in the table there. Uh, it's on our website. You go to About Us and Core Values for the complete list. But we want to take uh, this start of the fall church year to think through those values. There's nine of them. We'll be doing a seven-message series, a couple of them. Uh, will be combined. And in fact, in our adult Bible fellowships that are restarting, uh, the four of them, by the way, this year, uh, there's an additional adult Bible fellowship that's starting today. But uh, for these weeks, they will be uh, discussing and digging a little bit deeper into the value that we talk about here. Then next week, you'll talk about that in your adult Bible fellowship. So we really want us to begin to think clearly about core values. What are core values? Core values are different than our doctrinal statement. Our doctrinal statement establishes what we believe the Bible teaches on each of the major subjects that we need to know. That's a doctrinal statement. Core values are different from our church constitution. A constitution is a way of how we're going to function, how you are organized, select leaders, and things like that. Uh, Core values are seeking to distinguish what is what is God uniquely planned for us as a church that, that we hold as as most important what we emphasize? Another another good biblical church might have a little bit different twist on it. What is their distinctive core values? And that's okay. But these are our core values. Uh, we thought of calling the series "This Is Us," but that was taken. <laughs> so we're calling it. Uh, God's design uh, for us as open door. We hope that this, we believe it permeates the thinking of our leadership. We hope it permeates really all of our thinking and ministry here. So what's the first core value? Number one, it's about the Bible. Hope that's not surprising. We, we teach God's inerrant word as fully authoritative, seeking at all age levels to promote Bible knowledge and apply it to daily life. It starts out with the basis of how do you know the truth? And God has, in fact, 
spoken to us. It was really kind of a fun project, fun work uh, on a, as elders and deacons to uh, come up with what are, the, what are we going to define as our core values and even crafting how we're going to say it. It was, it was really good uh, to, to do that together. And so this is the result. We're going to only take a few moments on the statement because we want to dig into a key passage that, that guides our thinking. It's inerrant. The Bible is inerrant. That means without error, if that's a new word to you. It means God didn't make any mistakes when he gave us the Bible. Everything is in it that he wanted to be in it, and it's all true. Uh, so sometimes it's hard for us to understand certain parts of it culturally. Uh, we're, we're maybe a long ways away to, and we have, but it's worth finding out because it's exactly what God wanted us to know. It's authoritative. If God's word speaks to it, that's the final word. If someone holds a different view, that's wrong because the Bible speaks truth. It's authoritative. It's for all age levels. It's, it's not just for, you know, middle-aged Americans. It's for, it's for everyone in every culture, age-wise. That's why we have our kids build classes and, and youth ministries. and it, it, it never expires. It's for all. And so we want to promote Bible knowledge. We have to know what's actually here. And we're always growing in that. I, I keep finding more and more things. I'm going, I've been preaching the Bible all these years, and I'm, I don't remember seeing that. Do you ever have that when you're reading? Going, I don't remember that. It's like inexhaustible in content. We have to know the content. But then we have to apply it. It really is of no value that the Bible is authoritative if it's not having authority over our life. That's what application's about. Uh, it, it has, we have to submit to it. Our attitudes, our choices, our view of the world, our perspective on our, on our, on our sin, it all has to submit itself. So it has to be applied on, on, on Monday morning at work, Saturday in a conversation with your spouse. It, it, it's life-changing, life-transforming. And so it, it, it has to be understood, but also it has to be applied. So that's just a basic look. We're going to jump now into this text in Second Timothy where we find this important value. Um, the context in chapter 3, we always understand a text of Scripture from the context, the, the context, really starting in verse 1, is about the terrible shape the world is going to be in in the last days. And uh, the, basically the chapter reads like any news feed would today in terms of what's going on. Uh, our sinful world will constantly oppose God and godliness. We, we need to accept and embrace that. In fact, Paul is writing this as a, a victim, if you will, of persecution. He is in prison for the second time. This time he doesn't get out. This, this, is, the, this is the imprisonment that, that ends, uh, we understand, in his martyrdom that other sources outside the Bible uh, describe to us. He's writing this, so then at the, towards the end of his life, he's writing it to Timothy. Uh, Timothy is a young man that he... Uh, developed as a partner, and then sent on various ministries to pastor churches and, and work alongside of him for some 20, 25 years uh, up to this moment. This is probably 35 years after Jesus uh, died, rose, and ascended back to heaven. So that's a little bit of the context. 
But we're going to jump into verse 10. You, however, Paul talking, writing to Timothy, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance. And then he says persecutions. He expands on that. Sufferings and what kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and impostors go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So Paul is explaining how he lived during this season of persecution. And he says, Timothy, I'm just reminding you, you, you know this stuff. You know how I lived, verse uh, 10. You've seen my life. You know how God, through his word, transformed Paul from a raging persecutor of the church to one who is patiently, lovingly enduring persecution. It, it's from here to here. You know that. And then he describes the persecutions in verse 11. Uh, these are three cities where he visited uh, on his first missionary journey with Silas. Acts 13 describes these. Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. And Lystra is where he met Timothy. So you know this. In Antioch, and this is the other Antioch, uh, there's, there's two in, in Acts. There's an Antioch where he was sent out from, the, uh, kind of a base, but then one of the first cities in Pisidia, was also called Antioch. In this Antioch, Paul uh, was, was, he was preaching the gospel and a bunch of people got angry and kicked him out of town. That was the first one. So they moved on to Iconium. In Iconium, many people believed it was, again, successful for the gospel, but then there's opposition. And so they heard that there was a plot that they were going to stone Paul. So Paul got out of town. Now they came to Lystra, Timothy's town. And in Lystra is where Paul was stoned. He was stoned and left for dead. It's actually a little bit unclear whether he actually died and God raised him from the dead or whether he was left for dead and God miraculously uh, healed him of his injuries because he got up and went on, seemingly completely healthy. That's the statement, the Lord rescued me from them all. And it's, it's, it's entirely possible, in fact, likely, I think, that Timothy will have witnessed them stoning Paul. So that's how they first met when Paul brought the gospel to Lystra. So he reminds them and us that uh, in verse 12, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, is that you? <laughs> I assume that's why you're here. You want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, what does it say? Will be persecuted. There'll be some pushback. Frankly, in America, we've experienced very little we are blessed with the freedoms we have, but we shall not be surprised that there would be pushback. Uh, if we stick with God's word, and we must, we can expect more, not less. But remember, don't be discouraged by that. Be encouraged by the last statement, God delivers us from them all, one way or another. But God does deliver. He's, he understands, he sees. 
As far as the world, evil men, imposters will get worse. Magicians is the literal uh, term for this imposter thing. What do, we, what do magicians do? They, they fool you, they deceive you as to what they are really doing, what's really going on. It'll get from bad to worse, this deception. People will distort and deceive about us. As Christians, they'll distort what we, what we believe. Last month I read about a, uh, it seems like the typical Christian school in uh, Valrico, Florida, Grace Christian School. They made national news because of a simple stated policy of referring to students according to the gender on their birth certificate. And that made news, as if that's something unusual or exceptional when it's, it's normal moral thinking, but it was, it was criticized. In defense, the school administrator, Barry McKean, has simply stated scripture and, in fact, positions that were almost like verbatim what we have stated in our own uh, doctrinal statement as a church. And he, he made a comment to a reporter, we're not hateful people, and yet we will be slandered as being hateful because we believe the word of God. It, 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 it's going to be. So what do we do? What do we do? Well, verse 10, Paul says, be like me. Faith, patience, love, endurance. Don't get down the mud with them. Fighting them on their grounds. Be such a model of, of, of patience, love, and endurance. They say something. This doesn't, this doesn't seem right to be accusing them of hateful because they're not. But then otherwise... He goes on to say now in verses 14 to 17, don't change a thing, just continue in the scriptures. So evil men getting worse, being deceived. But as for you, Timothy, verse 14, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and from how from infancy you have known what? The holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So, so think of this amazing core statement about our core value in its context, the world is getting worse. It's going to oppose us, godly, God and godliness, but God's word is going to just keep on saving and transforming people, so stick with it. Stay with the truth. That's Paul's core value for himself, for Timothy, and I'm sure for Open Door. You know from whom you have learned them, he tells Paul, Timothy uh, personally. So who taught Timothy God's word? It's actually probably a combination. We, some have wondered if he's talking about, well, Paul taught Timothy the word of God, and indeed they did because on the second missionary journey, and so the first one is when, when uh, Paul was stoned and left for dead, and that's how Timothy met him, and probably when Timothy was saved. And then the second time he came to Lystra on the second journey, he brought Timothy along because of his good reputation and, and, and spiritual growth as a young man, and he became this partner and ministry leader. 
So Paul certainly did teach him the word of God, but I think he's reaching back farther than that because back in chapter 1, verse 5, in the same book, he actually names how Timothy had learned the scriptures from infancy. It was through his mom, Eunice, and grandmother, Lois. If you're a mom or a grandmother, remember that. And in fact, his dad, Timothy's dad, was not a believer. And so, you know, God works through one parent if there aren't two parents in agreement. Very encouraging. But from infancy, you have known the Holy Scriptures. So uh, while indeed it seems that Timothy will have come to faith in Christ through Paul's ministry presenting the gospel of Jesus, his heart was prepared because mom and grandma had been teaching them the Holy Scriptures, Old Testament, from infancy as godly Jewish people. And so the hearts were ready to believe. So parents, if you still have children who are eating out of your refrigerator and expect you to buy the shoes and school supplies, this is your core value, to teach the scriptures to your children, to prepare them. The greatest privilege of parenting is to help prepare our children to understand the gospel, which means you need to understand the gospel clearly. And you are the best equipped to share the gospel with your children because you know them. You know how they think, and you can see it in their eyes when you're trying to explain something. You know if they're understanding it or not, and you know the context of their life and their personality. So if you're going to explain to them that we trust the Scripture and who God is and that God is loving and God is just and that our sin is a problem and that Jesus came and who Jesus is and what happened on the cross, if anybody can explain these vital concepts, it's you from infancy. So just make it a part of family life to talk about these things. I took it for granted, and I don't really remember my mom and dad teaching me these things, but I know they did. Because at six years old, there was a moment when I was in a hospital waiting room with my grandfather, and it all came together. And he explained to me how I could know for sure I'm going to heaven when I die. And I put my faith in Christ. But before that conversation, I know there will have been this understanding through the conversations that I had with mom and dad. Because these holy scriptures, verse 15, are essential. This this body of truth is essential to make us wise, leading to salvation. You've got to know the scriptures to understand how eternal destiny is determined. And so we want our children to understand what God says about their eternal destiny. Don't expect the church, parents, to teach your children the scripture. That sounds contradictory because we're just restarting all of our fall ministry programs for kids, right? No, the church is a supplement to your teaching whenever possible. Wednesday night, we have quite a few uh, students who come from uh, homes where probably they don't hear any scripture, and so we understand that in that focus. Kids Build that meets immediately after this service today uh, mostly are going to come from, from, if you call them church kids. Uh, we are supplements to what you're teaching. And uh, I understand actually from Pastor Nate that the, the, the subject, the focus, the curriculum for this school year for the high school class on Sundays is Bible doctrine. 
Fantastic. We've got to know the scriptures. That's what it is. That's what's going to lead people to salvation. So, so if you're going to be able to teach children in your family, kids, grandkids, you've got to know the scriptures. So what's your plan to know the scriptures? Better than you know it now. You've you got to have a two-part plan, I feel. I feel. You have to have a plan yourself how, when you're going to read and study the Word of God. Just to grow from wherever you're at, whatever your knowledge base and understanding is now, to grow from where you are, what's your personal plan? And then secondly, what is your, what is your support plan that you will learn from other believers and with other believers? When I was in high school uh, and ran cross-country, don't be impressed, I did it one year and not very well. But when we practiced, we ran as a group. Why? Frankly, most of what we did in practice, we could have done on our own. But would we have? <laughs> There's something about running as a group, and you're running alongside others. You have this accountability, and you're pushing each other. You're encouraging each other. And then you have the coach who's able to help you with techniques and pacing and things like that. And, and that's the reason we have adult Bible fellowships or Bible studies is because we recognize and value what God is teaching others in the Word, and, and we value the fact that there will be others with insights that can, can fill and help, our, fill in the gaps, and we can understand the Word of God and apply it that much better. Paul's been building a case. The world will get worse, spiritually. Check. <laughs> what do we need to do? Stick with the Word of God, especially parents. Let's check that box. It has to be our priority. But then Paul comes then to like the, the peak of this passage that is telling us about the authority of the Word of God because unless we understand the authority of the Word of God, we will not transform our life. It really makes no point. There's no value to making the Scripture a priority unless we understand its authority. What is the authority? Verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed. You may have the term uh, inspired. But literally, that phrase in, in, in the Greek language is God-breathed it. All scripture is God-breathed. It's a very appropriate uh, metaphor, if you will, of how we got the scripture because we all understand that it takes our breath to form the words that express what's in our heart. So we, we, have, we have thoughts and feelings and emotions and, and, and our, our head and our heart comes through our mouth. We, we breathe words. And so this book is God's breath because there are things that only God knows that he wants us to understand and express. There are, there are things that God feels and, and senses that we have to understand. And so how are we going to know that it's, it's breathed out by God? And obviously that process of how this book was inspired and uniquely inspired, not like inspired like an inspired song kind of thing, but, but directly spoken, revealed what God wanted us to know. How does that work? It'll always be some degree of mystery, but in uh, Second Peter, we have one really good, clear description of it. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. No one just said, you know what, I think I want to write some of the Bible. 
Now, there are people in cults since then who have said things like that, but it didn't come from the, the, from the, the will of man, but men spoke, people wrote with their, with their quill on their parchment, papyrus. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is a supernatural book. God was speaking, that is clear. Men were writing. God was directing, superintending, controlling every word, every tense of every word, and doing it while not eliminating the unique human personality and skills and and knowledge of the individual writing. For example, David, who wrote most of the Psalms, has this this incredible skill set of putting things in this poetic literary form. And God used it to give us the encouragement we experience reading the Psalms. Um, Gospel of John. Well, the Gospel of John, he wrote also 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, those letters, and the book of Revelation. And and it's it's incredible how John's vocabulary is consistent. There's certain words and terms just like you would have certain words or terms that you use more often and people you know that they say it that way. But Luke, Paul, they all have a style. Yet God was breathing all of what became our Bible in, in this miraculous divine human collaboration. And as a result now, we have all Scripture. We have, we have what God wants us to know. He wants us to know so much of what he alone knows. How big a deal is this? How big a deal is it that, 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 that God has spoken to us? Can you try to imagine that you are God? And uh, you have just created this incredible universe and placed in it your masterpiece, men and women, who... You created in your image, that is, so that you as God could communicate with them. They would understand you. So no animal understands God. Every human thirsts to understand God. And you love them so much that you wanted this to be reciprocal. You wanted them to love you. So you made them free beings, not robots. With freedom would come sin a terrible uh, violation of the holiness of God. And you knew that. And so you had already planned how you would solve the sin problem. And in your perfect triune nature, you would separate yourself from yourself and send yourself to earth in the person of Jesus who would be the only sacrifice who could pay the penalty of man's sin. Of course, you wanted to communicate all of that of who you are and what you would do for their sin because in every relationship there is a desire and a longing for communication and so you would begin to speak. In one sense, God had already revealed himself and his glory by all that he had made. The heavens declare the glory of God, but he wanted more. He wanted to express himself through words. And so he spoke audibly to Adam 
before and after that awful first sin. He spoke to Abraham, to Moses, as God, you would speak audibly to your prophets to, to tell of the warnings and the corrections. But, but the audible speaking would not be enough. He wanted it to be permanent. He wanted every generation through 2022 to, to know him. So he had them write it down, what God was like, what was true, what was false, how God would solve man's sin. And that is the Old Testament. But then came the centerpiece of human history, and you, he actually did send Jesus. And so God ordained and designed and inspired four independent writers who, who put down on black, in black and white the coming of Jesus, the, the ministry, words and works of Jesus. Put down in detail filling in blanks of, of the death and resurrection of Jesus, then his ascending back to heaven, so we would know all about that most important part of God's plan. And then he inspired Luke to continue the story and tell the story of how the church began. And he inspired uh, Paul and other apostles to give instructions to the church so that Open Door Bible Church would know how to you know, craft its values or form its... Uh, doctrinal statement so he and, and so that we would know all about what we need to know of the family life or marriage or sexuality or work or money or or conflicts you put it all down in black and white and you're hopefully holding a copy in your lap and you have it on your shelf at all times and he said i want you to know all this so we can know him god breathed it and he breathed it not just so we'd know it, so that it would transform our life. It is useful, then, middle of verse 16, it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. We need all that so that the man and woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That means God uses the scripture so that we can do everything that God planned for us to do. Everything that God planned for you to do, and he's got a personal plan for you can be accomplished, but only if you are being transformed by the Word of God. I think this verse uh, is help, it helps to picture it as a, as a path. A path uh, that we are all on as believers in Christ, and God used His Word, it says, read the whole sentence, to equip us to serve Him. So we all know that life is like a path and that you make a certain choice you could look in your past and say, oh, I chose to do this, and then that set in motion all of this. And if I'd have chosen to do that, it would have been different. Well, you can't reverse that. So we, we embrace God's sovereignty in that. But, but then we look forward and say, okay, now I've got these choices. And if I make this choice, it will diverge in a yellow wood and lead to something else like Robert Frost's classic poem. So I, I need to carefully make those choices. How do I make those choices? God gave his miraculous word to help us to do that. And so first of all, it says in verse 16 that it's good for teaching. It said, this is the way to go. So when you have right and wrong, sometimes we have freedom of choice on this or that. But it's right and wrong. So this is the thing you need to do. And then, because we're sinners, we sometimes need the scriptures. We often need the scriptures. We continually need the scriptures to rebuke and say, no, nah, you don't want to go down that track choices, thoughts, whatever. 
So it rebukes us, and then it doesn't just leave us there. It corrects us, as we've been studying in our series on 2 Kings, and we, after this series we'll finish that one. But in 2 Kings we have seen mostly bad examples, like serves like rebukes. This, if you live this way, this is what happens. But the Bible doesn't leave it there in, in the ditch. It points us back and says, you know, so this, this is the correction. This is the humility of apologies, the humility of, of, of changing things, transforming, letting God, understanding how God can transform you. And then the, the, third, the fourth one is training in righteousness. So this is the path you want to stay on. So you don't keep making the same mistakes over and over again. And so this is how we have to picture our life and the, the, the core essential need for the Word of God. Don't be surprised that you sin and make mistakes. If you look at verse um, 16 and 17 carefully, you would realize that every person who is thoroughly equipped to do everything God wants them to do has gone through a process of rebuking and correcting by the Scripture. There are no perfect people on a perfect path. Everyone equipped to do what God wants them to do is constantly rebuked and corrected by Scripture. And be afraid when that stops. And you think you've kind of, you've kind of hit, the, hit the mark now. That would be a tragic thing. Because God's Word is seeking to uncover something new in our life by which to transform us every day. Hebrews, for the word of God is living and active. It's not a dead book written thousands of years ago and out of date. It's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, even penetrating as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow. If you get the, if you get the metaphor, it's basically picturing a sword, you know, cutting a chicken in half or something. It just totally separates things and says, this is this because it's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart and so the, the the sword of the word of god is supposed to convict and expose our sin if there's ever a phase of your life that you don't think you have it that's the problem allow and embrace god's word not just exposing the obvious things that the world is doing and the obvious things that those other christians are doing wrong but so that it is exposing my need, my thoughts, my, my motives. Ever thought about your motives? Ever thought about your attitudes? Ever thought, maybe God, maybe it's not just enough even to keep my mouth shut. Maybe I, shouldn't, I should be addressing the thoughts I'm having. And if you embrace that till death, God will keep transforming you day by day. So that means every morning you have a choice. You have a choice to whether you're going to pick up the scripture or the what? The phone. <laughs> the, phone will, the phone will show you everything that you're... Sorry, I got one too many there. The phone will show you everything your friends are doing. And, and what's going on in the world, it's amazing. The scripture will show you the thoughts and intentions of your heart. In the evening get the Roku. It'll open up a world of entertainment for you, right? Everything from good to awful. 
but it won't show you the thoughts and intentions of your heart and transform you to be equipped to do every good work. And uh, there's other stuff of life, obviously, all day long. You've got the, the work and the family times and important things, but there's only one book that can help you to become wise unto salvation, to understand the gospel clearly, and that can communicate the power of God and transform you from defeat and depression and selfishness and addiction. There's only one book that can do that, and it's the Word of God that's active to do that. There have been a number of people uh, in recent years here at Open Door who have taken a 30-day challenge to start or restart Scripture penetrating their life. It's September 11. I would challenge you, if you have not been regular in the Word of God, that from now to October 11, you commit before God, maybe put on your calendar, check mark, talk to a friend, you're going to call each other, check on it, to be in the Word of God in some meaningful way every day for 30 days. Not that God's mad at you if you miss, it's that you know you need to restart uh, your, your immersion therapy spiritually in the Word of God. In fact, as you, as you do, you might want to let some others know in your, in your Bible study groups, ABFs, or, or one of us pastors, what God does uh, in your life through that. Paul next tells Timothy, then, that if indeed the Word of God is, has this authority and this ability to transform us, then what should be our core value? Chapter 4, in the presence of God... And of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. He kind of sets it up pretty significant, doesn't he? I'm, I'm talking in God's presence, in Jesus Christ, who's coming back to judge the world. I give you this charge, Timothy. Preach the word. Preach the word. Be prepared in season, out of season, every time. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instructions. In other words, make sure, Timothy, you are doing everything you can to communicate the Word of God so it can have its effect of verse 16 and 17, teaching, rebuking, and correcting. So that's what we are here for today, right? That's why we gather with others around the Word of God. That's why you open it in the morning. That's why you, you come on, on a Sunday morning. I, I take this little phrase, preach the Word, very seriously. If, if, if I have any job description, it's, it's, it's this verse. Quite a few years ago, I was at a men's conference with some of you probably down in Moody, at Moody Bible Institute, Chicago, with a bunch of open-door guys. And then we, go out, we went out for a, a lunch at a Chinese restaurant. And uh, so we're all opening our fortune cookies and reading them. And mine said, you will soon change your line of work. <laughs> I'm sitting there with the church guys. Well, okay, it's been, I think it's almost 20 years ago. And one thing we've proven is fortune cookies are not inspired. <laughs> this is what we do. When a pastor or a Bible study leader speaks, they have an unfair advantage over every other speaker. I, I, I get that. 
because the script is God's. You have no reason to want to listen to my opinions for 40 minutes. No reason. How long do most engaging popular TV shows go? I mean, I mean, many are out at one season. You know, some go 10, 15 seasons, right? And I mean, they have the, the best producers, writers, effects. And at some point, people get tired of it and say, you know, there's something better now. But many of you in this room have been under the word of God in studies and preaching your entire and you're still not tired of it. That tells you that the living, the Word of God is living and active. It's like nothing else. If you're seeking a church home, don't pick this church because you like me. That'd be a really foolish thing. Pick it because you are convinced that week by week you will hear the Word of God spoken. If you decide to go to an ABF, or you're thinking of restarting to get into a Bible study or ABF, don't go because, well, you know, I do like that guy, or I like that where my friend goes. Go because you want to be exposed to the Word of God and the Word of God to expose you with others to maximum effect. Don't send your students to Kids Build on Sunday or Youth Ministries on Wednesday for wholesome entertainment. Pastor Nate's not trying to be a cool youth pastor. He is, of course, but he's not trying to be a, a cool youth pastor or have a cool youth group. I'm amazed how students are coming because they are hungry for the Word of God. And that's what they're getting. That's all we have. We are a powerless church without the presence of God speaking to us. And if we ever cease to depart from the priority of God's word, we'll be detached from the power of God. Preach the word. Verses 3 and 4 review that uh, we're going to be radically out of sync with the rest of the world when we stick with the word. Verse 3. For the time will come, it's here, when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. We have to preach the Word of God because all the false teaching and viewpoints out there will say what people want to hear. People have a choice what they're going to hear. Ever since TV came out with three channels... Yes, young people, they one time had only three channels, but you could always pick what you wanted to hear, right? Believers in Christ have overcome that, must overcome that, because there's a channel we must stay tuned up. That is sound doctrine, but the world at large will not put up with sound doctrine. If you could picture uh, some typical uh, celebrity or, or, or influencer in the world, just Imagine that person. Maybe you've kind of followed them. You kind of know something. They're really well-known, popular people. Can you imagine them sitting in this room today and what are they thinking? This is crazy. Can you imagine them uh, sitting in uh, a Bible study where people are digging into the Word of God and applying it? That It's going to either draw them or repulse them. One God? 
one inspired book, one way of salvation, Jesus Christ alone, one woman, one man for life, it would all seem so ridiculous. And so they won't put up with sound doctrine, so instead they gather a great number of teachers who are going to say what their itching ears want want to hear. By the way, that's the danger for believers too. Because we can sometimes hear a, quote, spiritual religious speaker that has has a flavor of spirituality, but if we're really honest, it is indulging our, our sinful, selfish desires. And so if sometime you are, are facing a dilemma or, or a problem, and you hear something spiritual sounding that you really, really, really like, would you have the honesty to maybe beware and be careful? Why do I really like this? Why does this appeal to me? Is it, is it appealing to my selfish, maybe vengeful nature? Yeah, yeah, this will teach them. Does it appeal to my greed? I'll be, I'll be money dollars ahead. Does it appeal to my desire for pleasure or recognition? Why do I like it? If you, if you really like what you're hearing, Run a, run a red flag up and then do the test. Is it, is it really scriptural? Is this, is this the whole counsel of God? In this last verse we look at, in verse 5, Paul gets really personal with Timothy. So Timothy, you, in contrast, but you, keep your head, my translation says, maybe you have be sober, watchful, restrained. Keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Don't, don't be fooled to think like our, our selfish uh, world that just is looking for things that appeal to them. Uh, Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. We don't even hardly understand how deceived we can be. So, so be really careful. I, I like this expression, keep your head. I can still hear my high school basketball coach yelling his classic rebuke, maybe not the nicest. Get your head in the game. (laughs) Sid. (laughs) (laughs) Coach Balzer wanted us to win games. And Paul wants Timothy to win spiritual battles that that we're all engaged in. So we have to get our head in the game. Endure hardship. Serving Christ isn't easy. How do, you, how do you endure the hardships that come, whether it's basic trials or persecution, the encouragement of the word? Do the work of an evangelist. That's scary. Although we have the power of the gospel. The gospel carries its own authority. It's not about us being convincing. In fact, Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Whatever God has equipped you to do, chapter 3, verse 17, through the Word of God, whatever it is, discharge it because the Word of God will keep encouraging, feeding, informing, directing you. Do everything God intended for you to do. And so this morning we're, as Open Door kind of restarting the, or starting our ministry, we're 
year and it's hard work and it's worth doing because it's for Christ. So let's just make sure we stay clearly focused based on the Word of God, aligned, empowered with what he says. David Platt, pastor of a large church in the D.C. area, wrote the book Radical. He said, what if we take away the cool music, their cushioned chairs, and the stage is no longer nicely decorated? What if the air conditioning is off and the comforts are removed? Last night I was preaching this and the air conditioning died right then. You couldn't make that happen today. What if you took away the things we kind of like about church? Would his word still be enough for his people to come together? Early Christians worshipped in the catacombs, hiding out in cold caves, right? Would we? Would the word of God be enough? We know it is because it's inspired it transforms us. It equips us. It has to be core because it's leading us to salvation and transforming us daily. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are coming before you seeking your wisdom injected into our life because we know that we are distracted and our thoughts and worldviews are so often polluted by uh, the opposition of the world. Help us to be alert and sober, to keep our head. Because, not because we're so smart, but because your word is so wise and you have actually spoken as God the creator, you wanted us to know the truth about this life and about eternity. So give us a refreshed commitment. If it's kind of a new start the next 30 days or if it's uh, being encouraged to, to, to persist in, in patterns and disciplines you've already given us or whatever it is, Lord, but then help us to not only read and, but to heed and to see uh, what you have for us next, to expose what is next for us to know about ourselves because we have learned something more about you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.